We're going to have a Saturday, a mostly sunny day. We can look forward to a better weekend, it looks like, with a high of 58. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a chance of rain at 41. And then again, Sunday, 50 to 80. Well, it's going to be rainy Sunday. 50% to 80% chance of rain, highs of 55. Stay tuned for Main Currents is coming up in just a few seconds. Meanwhile, don't forget... If you haven't donated to WERU, this is your chance to do it. This coming weekend is the start of the pledge drive. Don't forget, you can call anytime during the pledge drive at 469-6600 or the pledge support line. Anytime during the day, those people will answer the calls and you'll be on your way to becoming a member if you're not already. Stay tuned for Main Currents. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Wednesday, May 10th, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. We have two reports for you today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with residents of the Corena, Charleston area who are concerned about what's really behind a Maine power company's recent interest in the area. But first, we have another episode in what's becoming an ongoing discussion here on Maine Currents, talking with local people who are attempting to build bridges between community members with differing political views. Joining me in the studio for this first segment are Elliot Benjamin from Winterport. Elliot has PhDs in mathematics and psychology and has published a number of books and articles on various topics in psychology, philosophy, mathematics, and progressive politics. And Betty Sue Easton is a psychotherapist with a practice in Belfast. They are both members of a Belfast-based group called Building Bridges Through Political Diversity. Welcome to Maine Currents. Betty Sue and Elliot, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the name obviously encompasses some of the mission, Building Bridges Through Political Diversity. How do you accomplish that with your group? Elliot, do you want to go first? Uh, Yes, that's a good question, and it's an ongoing learning process for us. We, when I initiated the group, my uh, initial name was actually Trump supporters and non-supporters against hate crimes and discrimination. And what I thought of was, wouldn't it be good to bring people together for a common cause, something that people can agree with? Soon after the election, I didn't, uh, I didn't like the, uh, tremendous intensity and you know, hatred, basically, between people who voted for Trump, people who didn't vote for Trump. And although I will say that I did not vote for Trump, uh, my sister-in-law did, for instance. She's a very good person, an ethical person. And it struck me that I need to find a way to reach people, to communicate, and do feel like I'm doing something constructive rather than just sitting back, feeling apathetic and depressed. So I had the idea of forming the group, I put up flyers, put an ad in the paper, and this was three or four months ago, and things have taken off, and we've been meeting every other week since then, and, uh, well, that's at least the uh, an introduction to how the group it's the began. overview of it, yeah. Yeah, uh, Betty Sue, do you have a, a story about that, too, of why you wanted to be involved in this group? And let me, uh, before, let me put that on pause and give out the phone number two if listeners want to join us with their own stories about communicating hopefully effectively with people with differing political beliefs the number into the studio is 469-0500 469-0500 or 1-800 or excuse me 1-866-625-9378 1-866-625-9378 so sorry about that betty sue easton uh what are your reasons for getting involved in building bridges through political diversity Well, in terms of my work, it's like I've made a career out of helping people understand each other, or at least trying to, and uh, the result of this election is just so divisive, it's like the whole country needs to work on it. Um, The day after the election, I was really very surprised, as I guess most people were. Um, And my daughter actually, through her work, um, brought home um, and and talked about a discussion that they have there about how uh, there have been a lot of things going on in this country that those of us of a liberal slant simply have not been aware of. And we better start talking together or, or, you know, we just have to talk together because um, things just 
so that we're not surprised and so that we know how to um, have common goals and not end up hurting each other, um, which is kind of what has happened. It's it's so much easier to just stay in your own box and talk with people who, right. who are in your own comfort zone, who may not right. agree with you on everything, but that you have some general ideas that you agree on. And the country is clearly divided along those lines. It, did it take a lot to get either one of you to sort of step outside of that comfort zone? Uh, I will say absolutely. When um, Soon after the election, I didn't want any part of um, talking to people who voted for Trump. Then I gradually had some communications on a, um, a website where I have a number of published articles, and the person very clearly and very um, respectfully explained his reasoning. He had lots of problems with Hillary Clinton, made me realize different issues. He was a gun advocate. But it, it opened me up a little bit to try to understand why somebody would vote for Trump who could still be a good ethical person. As I said, my sister-in-law had a major effect on me wanting to open up. I felt I had to. And that, but it wasn't easy. As you say, it would have been a lot easier to just have a close-knit group of people who think the way you do. And it's a, I think it's a continual challenge. And maybe we'll say a little more later on about how challenging it was with some particular people, uh, one particular person who was very, very um, uh, vocal about his beliefs uh, in regard to, to Trump uh, at our first meeting. Uh, but but uh, I'll, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it at that for now. Thanks, Elliot. Betty, so were you at that meeting too? And yes. So you, and you've kept going back as well. How hard was it for you to push yourself outside your comfort zone? I mean, we should note that both of you are trained in the field of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have some, some experience in and trying to uh, be empathic and not pass judgment on people and, and see the person for the person past all kinds right. of other absolutely. stuff. So and, I assume yeah. that helped to some degree. Yes, absolutely. yes, yes. That may have kept me going. <laughs> um, but um, it was it was hard, and yet what what I found myself doing was looking for. Um, Kind of what I was thinking of as a soft spot, um, instead of all the the um, the anger and um, the what seemed to me not to make sense, one thing after another, not making sense in terms of my own way of looking at things. I was looking for what's underneath all this, and I actually um, ended up in an email exchange with this with this person and found the soft spot. And it, it made it much simpler. It made it, it, it was really interesting the way I turned the court. It didn't change my views, you know, at all. But um, it made me far more able to relate to him. Found and some not point run. of agreement or some point of attachment that you connected on. Correct. And not run from the group. How are you managing to get people, and, and is it a balanced number of people from oh, Not at all, political? not at all. That's part of the um, challenge. Uh, by far, the great majority of people, I will say, are progressives. Uh, I use the term Trump supporters, Trump non-supporters. Very simply, maybe think of it as somebody who voted for Trump and didn't vote for Trump. And to this date, we've had um, two people who've been part of the group who, uh, well, I will call a Trump supporter. And Relatively speaking, they're mild Trump supporters. They voted for Trump. They felt that he was the best candidate. They're not gung-ho, tremendously enthusiastic about it. But they do have uh, different political perspectives, and that's made the group um, more interesting. But what they all are able to uh, come together and agree on was the topics that uh, I started with. They're agreeing it's against, it's wrong, the hate crimes that have uh, increased, the discrimination uh, we've had some tremendous uh, impetus, influence about uh, bullying that we've taken up with. Uh, another issue that was interesting, I've had a lot of email exchange with the person Betty Sue just described, was the dangers of nuclear attack by um, a president making a decision without congressional uh, approval. And so there's been some uh, which, issues that we've been able to agree on And what was especially meaningful to me is this person uh, who Betty Sue just talked about um, came to about the first four meetings and ended up 
feeling more and more comfortable in the group. Mm -hmm. He decided to soften, and he wrote something that was very impactful to me. He said that he felt respected by the people in the group. Mm -hmm. And I take that mm -hmm. as I'm very proud of our group that he felt this way. He's not continuing because of scheduling logistics only, uh, as, far as, uh, as far as I know. So yes, what you talked about, the training in psychotherapy. I'm, I'm not a psychotherapist. I have a certificate in counseling. But my background is in humanistic psychology, Carl Rogers, listening, oh. empathy, genuineness. And that's how I um, try my best to facilitate the group and to, at the same time, do uh, interventions. I, I am more active than a straight Rogerian therapist would be. But to keep that semblance, that um, respect for everybody who's in the group, and that goes along with the book that uh, we many of us have read, which is uh, referred to as um, Strangers in Their Own Land, A uh, Journey to the Heart of Our Political Divide um, by uh, Arlie um, uh, Russell Hustchild, which talks about listening to the deep stories. What's the reason people feel the way they do? What caused them to maybe vote against their own interests in Louisiana where they were tremendous uh, – uh, building of oil wells that uh, chemicals pollutants and destroyed many people's lives, and yet they still would vote for the um, people who have put this into place to try to understand where they're coming from is a lot of what I believe our group is constructively trying to do. Right, and that book that you mentioned was written by a sociologist from Berkeley who went into red states, and I think the most mentioned word in the reviews of that book is empathy. Yes. People think mm -hmm. she told Absolutely. the stories with a lot of empathy. But how do you, the people who, how do you get people who are representative of a range of the political spectrum to attend the groups and what do they think? I mean, if they had, I, I, I wonder as I'm thinking about this book where a sociologist went into the red states to try to get their stories out in more notice, if there's anything similar on the other side, if there's anyone, a Trump supporter saying, hey, here's this book about liberals that everybody should read so that you understand them better. I don't think there's anything <laughs> like that on that side. But there are clearly people who are coming from that perspective who also want to make sure that there's still connections with the rest of their community or otherwise they wouldn't be at your meetings. I'm just going to quickly say, and then maybe Betty Sue might want to say more, but so far it's only been word of mouth. It's been through the people in the group bringing in a neighbor bringing in a friend is how we've gotten people from the other political perspectives. That's my experience. It's been difficult. That's our, our task at the moment. And also flyers. We've had flyers up, but we haven't had anybody come in from the flyers. Um, seems to me that in addition to getting the word out, and hopefully this will um, help in that direction, um, is for everybody to set an atmosphere of feeling safe because there is just so much anger, you know? And if people feel that the second they walk in, they're going to be attacked, the second they say anything, they're going to be attacked, why in heaven's name would they come to the group? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the basic message that's going to have to get out in order for people to come in the door. <laughs> so you have some, some ground rules for the meetings because I wonder about when people cross the line and if anybody has or if they haven't yet what the plan would be if someone said something racist or sexist or homophobic or otherwise verbally abusive, how you would handle that within the meeting. That The, uh, the very first meeting that sort of became uh, an issue. The um, the person who we both referred to before, who was extremely vocal in, in his views, he said things that, uh, especially some of the women in the group, uh, really took offense to. Uh, I'll just give one very brief example without yeah, going no, go in, going into detail. Uh, he talked about why he voted for Trump. Trump was the better qualified candidate, and. Uh, I believe I might have asked him, did he have any problems or issues with anything that Trump said during his campaign? And it came up, you might recall, the um, locker room sexual uh, tape that Trump, mm -hmm. Trump explained. Yes. And, and uh, this person said uh, he agrees. You know, there was nothing in there that should have been so offensive. It was locker room talk. And he went on to say something like sticks and stones. People are too sensitive to words. Mm -hmm. Bullying has gotten out of hand. And uh, there were at least two or three people, uh, women particularly in the group, who wrote to me afterwards. They dropped out of the group. And I tried my best. I think I did a fairly good job of facilitating. Uh, I'm the facilitator. Betty Sue also, um, you know, will facilitate. 
And we, ch- we have the same perspective of um, overseeing it, listening to people um, and ensuring that people are talking as respectfully as possible. And that was the one, the very first group meeting. It, it, it was challenging. We haven't come up with a game plan, though, and that actually is an excellent idea. We, we really should discuss mm-hmm. that in our next meeting, perhaps, mm-hmm. because it, it, it's very possible it will happen. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. My guests are Elliot Benjamin and Betty Sue Easton. They are two of the organizers of a group in Belfast called Building Bridges Through Political Diversity, a relatively new group that is trying to do, just as the name says, build bridges through political diversity. And uh, I want to just read a little bit more as we're doing a reintroduction from your flyer to give people a bit more of a sense of what it is that the group is about. Do you have it handy? Do you want to want to read it, Elliot? Uh, Okay, sure. Uh, The name is Building Bridges Through Political Diversity, and the uh, topics that, as described, are a discussion support group to find common ground for people of all political persuasions to work on current issues that affect us all. And in a recent flyer, I focused on bullying in the schools, hate crimes, and discrimination. Voice your opinions, share your views, learn from and listen to those of others in a safe, supportive atmosphere. Appreciate the deep stories of those who think differently from you based upon the book, Strangers in Their Own Land, A Journey to the Heart of Our Political Divide. We've been meeting every other Sunday evening, and we try our best to continue that. Sometimes uh, there's more lap gap than we would like. Our next meeting is not until June 11th. All right. And listeners, if you have any questions or comments for this segment, we're doing this for just the first half hour, so don't wait. We're going to be shifting gears in about 10 minutes and uh, talking about something else entirely. So if you have a question for these guests, give us a call now, 469-0500. That's the local number, 469-0500. Or you can call toll-free at 1-866-625-9378. It does seem that a lot of people are inclined to take politics to some degree. It seems like a a, a sports event that people have picked teams and that they're willing to be loyal fans and stick with their team despite a lot of what happens. There's not a lot Mm -hmm. of people saying, oh, well, I just saw the news and now I've changed my mind going on. So when you have those folks in together in your group meeting, are you – trying to actively avoid people trying to change each other's minds or convert each other or win an argument? Uh, do you have a like a side topic or how do you find something that people can come together on instead of it turning into, uh, you know, arguments? Well, that's the focus of, of how it began when I tried to think of exactly what you're saying. What is a topic that people can agree on constructively? And I came up with the hate crimes, discrimination, adding the bullying to it. I think tackles that. But at the same time, people seem to want to open it up and talk about you know, different issues. And I think as people get to know each other more, that can be done. And I, I believe that's important to do. Uh, in our last group meeting, we had a new person come in who was, again, I'll refer to it as a Trump supporter, meaning somebody voted for Trump, was very concerned about the bullying issue. His kids were being bullied in school. And for most of the meeting, we were all very, very, you know, happy to to talk about that, and, and it was very harmonious, very constructive of what can be done about that. Towards the end of the meeting, it did get into other topics. This particular person um, had a lot of agreement with the rest of us, and for various reasons, he did vote for Trump. But I'm just saying that uh, my goal really is to be able to gradually open this up to topics and listen respectfully um, to each other. It, so that, that, that's what my hope is. Um, I'm, th- I'm just thinking of the Civil War, okay? <laughs> um, the Civil War, the country, I mean, I'm no historian, but the country was so divided, and um, my understanding is that um, it tore families apart, it tore friends apart, um, and it seems to me that... My gosh, that should not happen again. And it seems to me that that is a danger of what has been going on now. And that if – I guess that was one of my initial thoughts too, that um, 
if we continue not talking to people of differing poles, um, you know, that's like the ostrich putting his head in the sand type thing, which I understand is not actually true. Um, but by putting one's head in the sand, so to speak, um, you don't learn anything, you don't change anything, and, and nothing um, progresses except that one becomes more and more calcified. Yeah, you know that the Civil War, uh, that that had actually come to my mind, too, when we first, right after the yeah, election. Okay. It really seems as that divided. And also, you know, just as listeners to this program who have been listening over the past year and a half or so when I've had the multi-partisan panel that we have coming in. We have people, uh, we have a couple people who voted for Trump, one who voted for Hillary Clinton, uh, one who voted for the Green Party candidate, uh, who was formerly a Bernie Sanders supporter. So there's a range. They get along great, incidentally. They come in beforehand, they have coffee together, they stick around afterwards, they talk, they've friended each other on Facebook. I don't know how they do it, but they, they, they seem to get along great. But just hearing from a few listeners, and I'm sure there are more out there who say they are triggered. They are really feeling traumatized and triggered by, you know, you talk about the sexual uh, abuse mm-hmm. uh, that that Donald Trump bragged about doing and having somebody uh, minimize that mm-hmm. with so many people having experienced mm-hmm. trauma that way. Uh, it's... It, it almost takes a clinician in a clinical setting to kind of try to bring some of these things together. What kind of format uh, does the group operate under? Is it everybody talks or there's a speaker? Or uh, Begin with, um, especially if there's new people coming, I ask everybody to give a brief introduction. And it doesn't take long before somebody has something that they're concerned about. Past few meetings, a lot of it has been the bullying. And we just open it up and uh, people respond. And it's very dynamic. The time just seems to, to go. But I want to take this opportunity to also say it goes both ways and in terms of understanding. And I will say that when I read um, the um, portrayal of the deep stories in The Strangers in Their Own Land book, it struck me some of the people down in Louisiana who felt that the standing in line chapter, and I can remember Betty Sue strongly mm. suggesting that to the group, uh, and it was very impactful. People who worked their whole life, worked hard, seemed to be good, ethical people, and all of a sudden, other people, minorities, because they were from a different race, whatever reason, were getting benefits ahead of them. And just listening non-judgmentally to how they felt and... I mean, that reached me. Uh, it didn't change my political perspective, but it really had an effect on me, and it made me understand and value these people's lives and why they're coming from uh, the perspective that they are. And um, so I, I think that this, uh, the intent of this group really is to go both ways, to have mutual understanding. Um, All right. Well, I we think, are. Go ahead. One last thought. I, we're almost out of time. I think one thing that um, can help in that is realizing that the group is not about changing people's minds. And if we keep that in mind, it makes it easier to listen, at least for myself. All right. Well, you're uh, doing some work that we will probably be checking in with you again about. This is a recurring topic on this show, something that we're definitely very interested in. Thank you for joining us. And where can people get more information about your group and where, where and when is the next meeting? Well, the next meeting, as I said, is in a month. It's uh, June 11th, which is unusual. We'll be meeting every other week. This is Memorial Day, scheduling logistics. Best way to get more information is through emails. Um, myself, I'll give the email address. Okay. It's Ben, B-E-N, 496 at Prexar, P-R-E-X-A-R dot com. Okay. And Betty Sue, uh, I'll give her email address as well. Are you okay, okay. with that being given? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's um, B-Music, B-E-Music, yes. four, number four, ever. <laughs> nice email address, Betty Sue. <laughs> at I love G-ma- <laughs> Gmail dot com. All right. And uh, we have phone numbers, but email would be the best, I think. All right. Well, we're going to thank you both for being here. This has been Elliot Benjamin and Betty Sue Easton from the Building Bridges Through Political Diversity Group in Belfast. We're going to take a quick musical break and uh, change some seats around here. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you very much.
right. Welcome back to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm your host, Amy Brown, and we're shifting gears now. Some residents of the Corinna and Charleston areas are suspicious about a Maine Electric Power Company, or MEPCO, project planned for that area. A few of them are with me here today in the studio. Alan Clemens lives in the town of Charleston near the new power line. He's been involved in utility issues, industrial engineering, and environmental activism since the late 70s. And for full disclosure, I should uh, mention that Alan has been a WERU volunteer in the past. Lorenzo Pizarro is a retired New York school teacher who now lives in Corinna full-time and owns the second Reed used bookstore in Dexter. His house would be 300 feet from the new transmission line, which he believes would forever uh, change his beautiful homestead. His wife, uh, Patty, is with us in the studio as well, though she's uh, not going to be joining in the conversation, she's, but she's here for uh, moral support. And by phone, we have uh, Everett Simpson. He's the owner of farmland and forest in the town of Corinna. He reports that he's being pressured by MEPCO to sell easements for the new power line, but is steadfastly refusing to do so. Uh, Everett is a musician and a lifelong resident of Corinna. And before we get into our discussion, this is what MEPCO has to say about the project that has them all concerned. Quote, Maine Electrical Power Company Incorporated, MEPCO, a Maine electric transmission company jointly owned by CMP and Amera Maine, proposes to build an electric transmission line from Chester to Pittsfield. This new line would enable CMP and Amera Maine to continue providing safe, reliable electricity delivery to homes and businesses throughout our service areas. We have been working collaboratively with communities and landowners to identify the best path through each town along the route and to acquire the necessary easements. Our focus is on finding willing sellers, and we have a history of negotiating successfully to acquire easements for transmission corridors. We work closely with landowners to negotiate a fair deal acceptable to both parties. However, the Maine Public Utilities Commission rules require us to share information about landowner rights related to eminent domain when we are acquiring a right-of-way. Our priority in the meantime is to find willing sellers and a root community support. The easements MEPCO is seeking are for the development of a transmission line, which includes poles, wires, foundations, and communications by MEPCO in its business as a public electric utility. MEPCO is not seeking, nor would landowners be granting, permission for any other uses, such as pipelines or highways, that are not specified in the easement. Maine's transmission lines are essential energy infrastructure, Corinna and neighboring towns have long benefited from transmission lines that move power across the system and deliver electricity to thousands of homes and businesses. It is important to maintain and update the system, prepare for future growth, and ensure the availability of safe, clean, and reliable power, end quote. Alan Clements, Lorenzo Pizarro, and Everett Simpson, welcome to Maine Currents. Thank you. Thank you for having us. What And what I just read was a uh, message sent to me by a MEPCO representative uh, this week when I let her know that some local representatives had reached out to us with their concerns. Does her response um, alleviate all of your concerns? We can just cancel the show? or <laughs> Her response Mrs. Lorenzo. has to be examined word for word because MEPCO has been pursuing us like they're very hungry for the for right of way. And many people are frightened because we don't want to give them the right of way. What they have offered is disrupting the harmony and the tranquility of our small town and will change our life forever. And what they're giving us is absolutely nothing to exchange for that. And we don't want them. We have taken straw straw votes in town. We stopped them from buying the local dump. They wanted to buy our our dump for $18,000, but would take no responsibility for the benzene that would overflow and the water pollution that would come from their disrupting a capped dump. They don't want responsibility. They want to fool us into giving us $100, $1,000, and then we give them the right-of-way forever to put a transmission line and do anything they want without our being able to say anything. Uh, I moved from New York City 40 years ago and bought land in Maine. I retired 17 years ago. 12 years ago, I built my home, which will be in the shadow of this transmission line. And the pollution 
if they have the right to do what they want, they will pollute the water, they will uh, raise the, uh, the, the, the trees and turn my little paradise and the little paradise of Corinna, Maine, into a plantation to produce electricity for Connecticut, for New Hampshire, for out-of-state communities, but we're not going to get a benefit from it. We're going to get, uh, we're going to be hurt. Everett. Everett, are you there? Yes, I am. Do you agree with that? I agree 100%. And uh, also, I, 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 I sense that uh, based on what Mikro has directly told me uh, personally, uh, this is a corridor, not just for a transmission line, but for more than one and definitely two transmission lines. And this is a corridor for any conveyance, a corridor for anything it would include any manner of pipelines and any configuration of, and any number of transmission lines. So they've told you something different than what I just read in that statement? I am reporting to you what I've been told directly by a MEPCO representative, and the man told me twice while he, he was meeting with me. And I've been told by town officials that they have been told the same information by the same MEPCO person on the same day. All right. We have uh, told MEPCO, uh, the representative, if she wants to listen and call in, she's welcome to do so. Listeners can as well. I'm going to give the phone numbers. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Alan Clements, who's been researching this for a long time now and has more information than we could fit in two hours, but we'll let him try to give a summary. Uh, But the phone number, if you want to join in with any questions or comments, especially if you're out in that area yourself, we'd love to hear from you. The number's 469-0500 if you're calling locally, 469-0500. And uh, the toll-free number is one 625 Alan Clements, you sent me a packet of information. You and Everett together put together a packet of information that is extremely thorough. Can you give us sort of the cliff note version of this? Sure. Um, uh, 50, uh, about 15 months ago, uh, at the end of January of 2016, MEPCO announced that they were uh, going to build this new, this new line, uh, it's a 345 kV line, which is 345 kilovolts, which is the highest voltage used in Maine and most of New England for interstate transportation of electricity. It has absolutely nothing to do with the local grid or, or even the, the local high voltage distribu- distribution grid, which would be 115 kilovolts at its maximum. Uh, this is for interstate transportation of power, uh, basically from Canada to southern New England. And um, just a couple of housekeeping things on, on uh, what the MEPCO uh, response was. Uh, they, they talk about serving the community, and, and that's just completely false. It's, uh, it has nothing to do with our area, um, eastern Maine and central Maine. It has nothing to do with it. Well, one of their so, other flyers, they say the tax revenue would be the equivalent to, uh, I think, 100 houses being built in the area, the taxes they would pay. Right. Each town, the, the, the value of this line, and I should address that very clearly here, their quoted price for, for the line is $1.5 million per mile. It's a 70-mile line. It's a small section of line, and it would not be paid for, it wouldn't be paid for by CMP customers or Amira Main customers. It would be paid by... The, their their uh, parent companies, Amera, located in Halifax, and Iberdrola, located in Spain, who own CMP. It would have to come from it's, it's some level above the, the local utilities because it's not going to serve main ratepayers. It's also not going to be paid for, at least uh, at the time it's built and for some time in the future, by ISO New England uh, electric customers, which means the greater New England ISO grid uh, which, incidentally, did pay for this last upgrade over the last three or four or five years, which was like a $2 billion project. And um, so we think this, this figure of $1.5 million per mile is a little, a little on the low side. But I'll, I'll just refer to it as a $200 million project, if, if, if I might have and that. And let me just jump in. Yeah. Chester, by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, yeah. but for people who had to look it up or would have to look it up like I did on Google Maps, it's just north of uh, Lincoln. So this it's is northwest. Of, it's across the river from Lincoln. Right? So it's a 70-mile uh, Right. So what, what the 70-mile stretch of new, uh, new line, uh, some of it goes along existing distribution lines, uh, but uh, about 20, 25 miles of it is actually what they call Greenway, which is uh, virgin, un, uh, you know, untouched uh, land, 
uh, for electric utilities. Uh, it's, the, it's that area between the service territories of Central Maine Power and Amera, basically in the Corinna Exeter uh, area. Um, what this 70-mile stretch does is it, it cuts the corner between uh, Lincoln, the Lincoln area and Pittsfield. Currently, the, the line comes from Canada. Well, let me back up a little bit. MEPCO was created in the 60s, and it's a, it was a collaboration between the old Bangor Hydro and Central Maine Power, and who were the primary owners of the Maine Yankee nuclear plant. And this MEPCO 345 KV line connected the Maine nuclear plant, Maine Yankee nuclear plant, to Canada. And, and connected basically the New England grid to Canada. And so over the years, of course, that use has changed. And uh, about 15 years ago, they created a second 345 kV line coming from Point Lepro nuclear plant in, in uh, New Brunswick. And so now there are two uh, independent, essentially, it's, it's complicated, they overlap in, in some ways, but there's essentially two independent 345 kV lines running from New Brunswick to New Hampshire, in, into southern New England. And uh, along one of those lines, the first one, the, the most recent one actually, is the Maritimes and Northeast uh, Natural Gas Pipeline. And that pipeline is owned by Enbridge. It was Spectra en Energy until last month when uh, <coughs> uh, Enbridge bought, acquired Spectra Energy. They're both pipeline operators. Uh, Spectra, mostly natural gas, Enbridge, sort of getting into the um, natural gas business. And along with this Maine Maritimes pipeline, they also purchased the, uh, the, the pipeline, which is about three or four times larger, the Agalquin Agal uh, pipeline serving southern New England, coming up through New Jersey and New York. So now Enbridge is, is, the, is the big player in the region. And Enbridge uh, is, is basically cooperating it was Spectra, but uh, now it's Enbridge, uh, cooperating with the utilities, the electric utilities in, in the region, because it's the electric utilities that have the most convenient routes for any kind of pipelines to go through. And we are talking natural gas. I'm not referring to any oil or anything like that here, tar sands or anything like that. We're, we're, we're basically talking natural gas. So currently, um, the natural gas pipeline comes in from Callis along the Studmill Road with a 345 kV line, and it, it Bradley it, it joins the uh, the other existing 345 kV line on the east eastern side of the Penobscot River, coming down from Lincoln, the Lincoln area, and it goes through Bradley, uh, Eddington, uh, Brewer, right at the Brewer Holden line, which we can see. You can see the two lines. Uh, right where 395 ends and 1A joins 1A. Um, it goes into Orrington, crosses the river into Winterport, and tiny corner of Frankfurt, I, I believe. And, uh, and then the two 345 KV lines split. One goes to Pittsfield, and one goes on down through Monroe and, and Montville and uh, down to Windsor. And, and down to, one of them goes to Maine Yankee, one of them goes to Richmond. And uh, <clears throat> so if they wanted to build a second natural gas pipeline through Maine, there's no way they could put two pipelines along that that 25 mile or so stretch that actually hosts the two 345 kV lines at the same place. Uh, it just wouldn't pass the straight face test for security or or anything like that. It would be you know fertile grounds for anyone to oppose it. So they really need this 70 mile stretch, which kind of cuts this corner from Chester to Pittsfield, and that what that will do essentially is enable them to use hundreds, you know, a couple hundred miles of other electric utility lines throughout the state. It's, it's the missing link, if you will. And Let me just remind listeners, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU, and if you have a question about this or a comment, you can call us at 469-0500 and join the discussion. This is Alan Clements, who's talking now. We also have Lorenzo Pizarro and Everett Simpson with us. They're all from the uh, Corinna, Charleston area, and they uh, believe that there is more to this proposal that MEPCO is putting in for the area than meets the eye. Uh, back over to you, Alan. Sure. So again, the, the big players that we're talking about here are Enbridge, uh, Iberdrola, and Amera, located in Halifax. MEPCO, of course, is owned by those two, Iberdrola and, and Amera, ultimately. Uh, in my research, which I've done a lot of research, you know, I'm not an energy expert per se, uh, and I'm not that intelligent, but I, I do have some basic academic skills, and I, I developed this hypothesis uh, right away when, I, uh, when they announced this. And by the way, they announced this at the end of January last year, 
uh, it was part of a, a green uh, initiative. Uh, southern New England the states where the three southern New England states were soliciting proposals for energy companies, transmission companies to supply southern New England with green power. Uh, the, the Pilgrim nuclear plant is going offline next year, or maybe 2019, I'm not sure. And uh, there's, they're, they're going to need more power down there. And they, they actually want to do the right thing and, and, and have it come from wind and solar. So uh, 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 MEPCO announced this, you know, oh, it's going to be an alternative energy project. But they said they held up meetings in Charleston and Palmyra, Exeter, Corinna, and uh, I think that's it. And they told everybody, well, we're going to pursue this project whether or not the RFP is approved. Well, in November, it, it was uh, rejected, and they're still going ahead with their project. It, and I, I need to emphasize, this is not a proposed project. This is an actual active project. It was rejected by whom? Uh, the, the Coalition of Southern New England Energy Companies. I, I'm not sure if it's the state's PUCs or uh, whoever is putting the, the, the coalition together of purchasing all So they're power. revising the plan somewhat to move forward? No, or? no. Because the actually wind energy project in Rooster County, the biggest one, I think, that, that this supposed, this, this new 345 KV line, again, this is a huge power transmission line. This isn't small stuff. Uh, they, they've bailed out right now. It's, they still own rights up there, and those rights have some value, and I'm sure they're being negotiated and traded for. It still could happen some years in the future. But right now, there's no project in Aroostook County that's going forward. So you don't think there's anything that could be linked to this that justifies what they're saying they're going to use it for? Well, uh, in terms of like alternative energy projects, or well, they, they obviously, if they build it, they have to come up with something to put over it. Now, it could be hydro Quebec power, for all I know. You know, I mean, it's going to if it increases capacity, that power is going to come from somewhere. But um, one other thing, let me let me go over a couple of timelines of, of things. So, in, at the end of January, they announced this this uh, this project. Uh, the in April, the beginning of April of last year, Kinder Morgan canceled their proposed the large uh, natural gas pipeline coming into New England through Western Massachusetts. Officially, their reasoning was that uh, they couldn't line up enough customers. They couldn't get the commitments they needed. Uh, but at the same time, uh, so in September, the beginning of September last year, uh, Enbridge and Spectra announced that they were merging, that Spectra was, was being bought, purchased. And um, I've got a couple of deeds here. Uh, so that was uh, September 7th. Uh, in February this year, now that sale is complete. So Enbridge uh, has all these avenues of bringing gas into New England. I mean, they're they're such a big player now that they they basically control the market. Now it's just speculation. Did did Kinder Morgan see the writing on the wall that okay, just you know t- you know two months after uh, Mepco's announced that they're going to create this new possible pipeline route, maybe we shouldn't be here. Who knows? But what I, is the relationship between MEPCO, which is the the official uh, entity with uh, overseeing this project, and Enbridge? Uh, technically, they're only that we know of. Their relationship right now is that the current gas pipeline is owned by seventy seven percent Enbridge and thirteen percent of Amera. So, so they're, they they're actually in business together. right now. Yeah. Let me take and, a break from the technical aspects just real quickly to get back to some of the hometown stuff before we uh, don't have time to do that. And just check in uh, with Everett Simpson, who's with us by phone from Corinna. Everett, you're a lifelong resident of Corinna, so you probably have a pretty good ear to the pulse up there. And uh, Lorenzo, you live in Corinna as well. So what are you all hearing uh, from people who've been approached by the energy company and are, how's it running in terms of people in favor versus people opposed? At, at the last few meetings that I've gone this is to, Lorenzo. people, Lorenzo Pizarro speaking, people are not very happy. They're a little afraid because there's a lot of technical stuff thrown at them. But the bottom line is that they're being offered nothing in return for the damage which is coming to their community. And they're talking about some money. The money's not going to replace the quality of life which we have. We don't want them there. We don't want a pipeline. We don't want a high-transmission electric line going through our community. And we are going to have a moratorium May 24th, 6 p.m., all the people in Corinna will vote to have a moratorium to stop MEPCO. We stopped their buying the dump. They didn't want to take responsibility for their disrupting benzene going all over the, the water table. 
They didn't want to take responsibility for that, and we're going to stop them from coming with our moratorium. The East-West Highway was part of MEPCO. They were stopped. The people in um, Sangerville, the people in, in, in the towns around Sangerville, uh, Munson, they had a moratorium, and they have stopped the East-West, and we intend to stop MEPCO coming through our town. And I recommend that all the other towns in the path of MEPCO do the same because we do have democracy still in New England. We still do have the vote. And when a town, a selectman, calls for a vote, we can have a moratorium and we can say, stop METCO. Okay. Uh, we have we have a caller, but first we're going to get a quick comment from Everett because I posed that question to him. We haven't heard from him yet. So, Everett, go ahead and weigh in on that if you wish. Uh, I wish to uh, inform that there is very strong support in Corona for a moratorium ordinance, moratorium ordinance for 180 days to be enacted to allow the uh, citizens and the municipal government uh, half a year to get our planning documents up to date, our comprehensive plan for growth management, and also our land use ordinance. What we're voting on at the special town meeting is exactly this, a moratorium ordinance regarding private corridors for any conveyance included including but not limited to high-tension transmission lines, paved highways, and pipelines. That's an exact direct quote, what we are voting on. And you feel like there's pretty good support up there that it'll pass, the moratorium will pass? Well, I have no way of knowing. I have no indicators one way or another whether it will pass or fail. We have to go to the town meeting on special town meeting on Wednesday, May 24th, and cast our vote and find out. Okay, let's take a call. Go ahead, caller. What's your first name and where are you calling from? Welcome to Maine Currents. Caller? Oh, well, we lost the caller. Okay. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go back to Alan with more of the technical aspects of this, and uh, if the caller calls back, we'll uh, put them through. If you're listening, this is Main Currents, and uh, the phone number is 469-0500 if you have a question or a comment. looks like uh, we may have a call coming in, so before we pass it back over to you, Alan, we only have about 10 minutes left to the program, so don't wait until the last minute to get a call through here. Um, we may not be able to get through that often happens the toll-free number is one 625 and uh we do have david from brooklyn with us go ahead david 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 from brooklyn are you there all right uh david all right looks like we're having some problems with the phone so we're going to let that go it looks like we may not be able to earlier the light wasn't flashing when the phone was ringing now uh, john's not able to get the calls patched through at all so our apologies for that but um alan is like literally uh almost uh, chomping at the bit here because he has a lot more to say about this really complicated project so back over to you alan yeah i mean one one really important thing that i'd like to address is the relationship between the easement holders of the transmission line and potential easement holders of a gas pipeline because they are separate easements Without being too technical here. Uh, but the moratorium will stop both of those for the time being? Uh, in Corinna, I think so. That's, yeah. that's your intent. Um, this is 70 miles, so Corinna is just right, you right. Know, maybe eight or nine miles of that. But um, the, um, the, the, the way it works is this, that they'll, they're, right now they're purchasing options. They're purchasing two-year options uh, for the, the purchase of an easement for electric uses. And, and that's, that's very clear. What happens is is that once this, once the the best route, and that's like a, a proper noun, best route is created for a pipeline, a gas pipeline in this case, say, that any pipeline company who's allowed to do business in the United States of America can come in and petition and put an application into FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and say, okay, we've got Jesus supply what? here in the Maritimes. And we've got customers in southern New England, and this is what we're proposing. Going to use that corridor. And they'll get the right of eminent domain with that permit. Okay. We're going to take a call because we do have that uh, problem sorted out. I believe we may have David from Brooklyn with us. David? David, are you with us? David from Brooklyn? No. All right. We're going to – we are not going to try to take calls anymore because it's not working. so, so along those lines, the, so that 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 a that an applicant for a gas pipeline will get the right of eminent domain to use what FERC determines is the the best 
use, the best, most convenient, the least impact route uh, for, for a pipeline. Now, the idea that an outside sort of a hostile pipeline company coming in is really, you know, unreasonable because as we know with the north, the current pipeline, the Northeast and Maritimes pipeline, pipeline Amera, their parent company in Halifax, is a 30% owner and it's very profitable for them. So it's almost like if, if for I know I know WRU listeners are are pretty savvy about corporate workings and and how corporate America works these days and 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 in the United States there's a responsibility to enhance profitability for your corporation. So if the corporations actually own this best use pathway, they are, they're going to be under pressure to actually build out and 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 develop that as a source of profit. Well, just the, the ownership itself is obviously a resource. It's an, it's an, it's asset. an, it's an exactly. asset, right? It's an asset. So aside from uh, Corinna, are other towns organizing? You're from Charleston. Are people in Charleston right along the path? And if so, what are they are they talking about a moratorium too? Or uh, we're not, not we're not too organized there. Um, the the landowner makeup is different. Uh, some larger landowners uh, there's a couple of holdouts, at least two that I know of. In, in Corinna, by the way, it's 15 landowners. Uh, Everett might, might want to... Uh, and are most of those that. landowners people who live on the land like you do, Lorenzo? Yes. Or, or, so they're mostly... It's not talking about going through tracts of forest that people, you know, they may own the land, but they live in some other state and don't ever see I it. I know one that lives there part-time, mm-hmm. and they don't care. The, they're already not interested in stopping it because right. they don't live there. But the rest of the people, most of them uh, want to stop it. Most of them have it in the air. In Charleston, is it, you say there are some larger landowners. Are they like, you know, Woodlot or what is their situation? Well, uh, MEPCO has deep pockets. They've, they've, paid, they've paid the price that a number I, – I know this firsthand – that they have paid the price that landowners have demanded. They want to avoid uh, eminent domain at all costs. And so what will happen is that right now they don't have the power of eminent domain. If they're granted a permit through the main PUC, which the local states PUCs, even though this is interstate transmission uh, in the United States, in, in, in electric transmission, it's left to the states to regulate, unlike pipelines, which is different. Uh, but they have deep pockets. They're spending a lot of money on this project. They want it really badly. All right. We have about three minutes left before we have to wrap up. So uh, I want to, Everett, do you have a last thought before we let you go? Well, MEPCO uh, states its case on the, uh, how wonderful we're going to be in Corinna receiving all of the tax windfall from the MEPCO valuation of the project. But there's no such thing as a CMP tax windfall in Corinna because uh, we are already having Central Maine Power Company in town valued at $6.9 million and the property taxes annually paid by Central Maine Power Company are 126000 All of this tax money is taxed out of us, uh, mostly through the uh, Penobscot County tax and the uh, education tax in our school district, RSU 19. So it's a wash. One hand washes the other on property taxes. That's what property taxes are to meet our annual tax obligations and the municipality's expenses. There's no profit. There's, there's no gain. Okay. There's no overplus on tax money ever. All right, Everett. We are running out of time, so we're going to have to leave it at yes. We're going to have to leave it at that with you, Everett. And uh, Thank you. we also uh, have Alan has something. So about one minute each. Go ahead, Lorenzo. On May 24th at 6 p.m. in Corinna, all the people who want to stop this should vote because we can't stop them. Um, the moratorium we wish to pass is to examine the possibilities of us controlling our fate and our lives and our property instead of the faceless uh, corporations from far away that are going to dictate what they want to do with our lives and make a lot of money and give us nothing for it. Thank you, Lorenzo. And Alan, you get the last word quickly. Sure. You know, uh, I want to just say that uh, you know, we've just scratched the surface and the complexities of the relationship between gas pipelines to the electric transmission, which is more out in the open, although not at all what it should be. Uh, and I just want to emphasize how stringent people that I've been doing research with have been with me, pressuring me, pushing me to demonstrate that this, this gas really can, can happen. Uh, so there's three things that I'd, I'd urge people to do. One is to demand from the Bangor Daily News that this issue be covered. They're, they're basically refusing to cover it. They did cover the public meeting. The only thing they've done so far is cover the public meeting 
in Corinna, but this is a two hundred million dollar. Literally one minute. Yeah, this is a two hundred million dollar project. It it vastly will affect potentially affect the energy makeup of the entire Northeast North America, not just Maine. And we need to anticipate the Public Utilities Commission filing. It's going to be very interesting to see how they're going to pay for it. But please support environmental groups that are are going to hire lawyers to uh, contest this filing. And do the same, please, for, you know, my, my wish is that people really reach out and support, like the Penobscot Nation, people that are uh, uh, mobilizing against uh, Dakota Access Pipeline Solidarity, Get involved. Where can people get in groups. touch and where can they get more information? We are out of time. Sure. Uh, I think uh, Everett is uh, probably the phone number we'd, we'd like to uh, leave folks with in Corinna. Uh, Everett, are you okay? I'll put that phone number along with the archives of today's program. You don't need to give it out now, but are you okay with that? Yes, that's fine. Uh, uh, okay. Beautiful. That would be a help. Thank okay, great. Kindly. Thank you all for being with us today. Uh, my guests have been Everett Simpson, Lorenzo Pizarro, and Alan Clements here in the second segment of the program. And uh, you've been uh, listening to Maine Currents. We're going to do, uh, real quickly, let you know what's coming up next week on Maine Currents. I guess before we uh, play our theme music and finish right up, uh, John Greenman's going to be in this seat. John Greenman's our our usual trusty engineer, but we're switching jobs next week. I'm looking forward to it, Amy. (laughs) Looking for your signs through the window. Yeah, next week's going to be very interesting because we're going to be listening and and, uh, talking about people's voices that we get from Cuba. I was lucky enough to go with a group from Witness for Peace in March, uh, and we listened to a lot of different people from a lot of different areas of the the economy and of the population. Women's issues, economy, culture, uh, education, medicine, and so a lot of those voices will be on the show next week, along with Judy Robbins from Let Cuba Live, a Maine, uh, a Maine-based uh, group, and uh, Dud Hendrick from Veterans for Peace, who is in Guantanamo right now, and he'll be back to talk about that. This is all on uh, Cuba Today, an update on Maine Currents next Wednesday at 4. All right. Thanks, John. And you have been listening to Maine Currents Independent views and culture. I'm Amy Brown. That was John Greenman, our engineer. He will be in the seat next week, as he said. And I actually won't be engineering. Somebody else will be here, but I'll be back the following week. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up next, followed by Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg here on Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Thanks for listening. on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainfarmlandtrust.org. This is Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Here's the National Weather Service forecast for the greater Bangor, Midcoast, and Downeast regions. For tonight, mostly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers mainly after midnight, temps in the lower 40s, winds out of the north at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Thursday, cloudy, a 30% chance of showers in the morning, highs around 50, winds out of the northeast around 10 miles per hour with some gusts up to 25. Thursday night looks mostly cloudy with a low of 45, northeast winds 10 to 15, gusting to 25 miles per hour. Friday, mostly cloudy in the morning, then becoming partly sunny, highs 55, northeast winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. Friday night looks partly cloudy, lows 42. Saturday, partly sunny, highs 55. Saturday night, partly to mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 42. Sunday, mostly cloudy with a 50% chance of rain, with 55 for a high. In the marine forecast for the Penobscot Bay Area, tonight winds out of the north at 5 to 10 knots, seas 1 to 2 feet in the evening, and then 1 foot or less. Thursday winds out of the north at 5 to 10 knots, seas running 1 foot or less. Thursday night across the waters, northeast winds around 10 knots with gusts up to 20, seas running 1 foot or less. This is Community Radio WERU-FM. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine of Belfast, Maine, an independent enterprise that supports free speech, democracy, and independent media. The 5 o'clock hour-long edition of Democracy Now! is recorded each weekday morning at 8, at which time listeners can hear the live Democracy Now! headlines. Thank you for tuning in.
Support for WERU comes from the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, a nonprofit organization building sustainable communities through sustainable 